You're listening to JSCN, radio for the Jewish small communities. Welcome, I'm your host, Ed Horwich, and this is episode four of JSCN Talk, the podcast for Jewish small communities and for anyone interested in Jewish topics and Jewish life. In this episode, I talk to Lynn Julius, the author of Uprooted, how 3,000 years of Jewish civilization in the Arab world vanished almost overnight. But before we talk to Lynn, let me give you a heads up about another episode, episode 6 of JSCN Talk. I meet Rabbi Szydrych, the chief rabbi of Poland. He tells me about the hidden Jews of Poland, a country so devastated by the Holocaust where people hid their Jewish identity first from the Nazis and then from the communists. How today there is a resurgence of Jewish life there. Where have the Jews come from? Weren't they all wiped out? Have they come from other countries? How are they refinding their identity? Join me in episode six for the hidden Jews of Poland. But now join me on a journey as I speak to Lynn Julius about a history that we almost seem to have forgotten to talk about. The Jews from Arab lands. We spent thousands of years there. Our Talmud was written in Babylon, today's Iraq. Our patriarchs and our sages are buried in Iran. How is that that we don't talk about them? Well, Lynn Julius has an idea and she's created an organization, Harif, to bring back that discourse, that history into today's conversation. A conversation that might have a role in today's politics and maybe in a future peace process. First of all, you've got a book which has now gone into paperback, which is called Uprooted. That's right. And you also started up a charity, Harif. Tell us what that's about. Okay. Well, Harif is the UK Association of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. It started in 2005. And it's run by volunteers. In fact, there are all of four of us. And uh, what we do is we organise talks, film screenings. We also do advocacy for for Jewish refugees. And um, the aim of, of the association is really to raise awareness of the existence, history and culture of... Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. Because here in Western Europe, the experience, uh, if you're not Jewish, is very much of the Ashkenazi world, um, the Jews coming from Poland and Germany and uh, Russia. That's right, that's right. I mean, that is the stereotype. I mean, this is a majority Ashkenazi community in the UK. There isn't that much known about, you know, Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. Perhaps in, in Manchester it's a bit different because you've got quite an old community here. Well, the original yes. community was Sephardi. In fact, the people may know that the original community in England was Sephardi yeah. and became Ashkenazi with the influx um, from the pogroms in the late 1900s. Yeah. 1800s, that's, sorry. That's, uh, that's correct, yeah. That's yes. right. But, but what, I was mo- what I'm most concerned about is not really the original founders of the community, who, as you say, uh, were Sephardi from Spain and Portugal, um, but the latest wave of Jews uh, from Arab countries. So, so what period are you talking about? So, so we're talking about really the the wave in the last 50 years. If you right, know. so following the Second World War. Yeah, that's right. A bit, a bit after that, from that's the 1960s right. yeah, around Yeah, then. people who actually had no choice but to leave. Now, you and I both have roots in the Middle East. 
Mine are from Aleppo in Syria, and mm-hmm. yours are... Yeah, well, my parents came from Baghdad, Iraq, and the family was there at least 400 years, and the ancestor was actually a rabbi in, in Aleppo, and uh, he moved to Baghdad because a plague had killed off half the congregation, including oh, the chief rabbi, and um, they asked for um, him to come and replace the chief rabbi. So uh, that's, that's how they ended up in uh, And in, do you in have Baghdad. your family history records going yeah, back? Yeah, it goes back to this one ancestor, a yeah. man called Sadka Hussein, who's actually quite well known in rabbinic circles, because he, he produced a lot of responsa, or whatever you call them. The organisation Harif, you felt was needed to create awareness about the Jews from the Middle East. But what, why? What, why have they not featured in our... Jewish story? Well, I think it's basically a matter of demographics, you know, the fact that this is a majority Ashkenazi community. And the Ashkenazi community, their story is really the Holocaust. That's their background. And before that, uh, the pogroms in Eastern Europe and Russia, uh, and that's their story. Uh, whereas the, the the Jews from the Middle East and North Africa, those recent arrivals who, who've come in the last 50 years, uh, they came in and they kind of got absorbed in the majority community and they quietly resettled without too much fuss and bother. And I think that's why really um, their story is not known. And before Harif, there was not really any attempt to to inform people about about their story. So what benefit is there in bringing this story, making more people aware of it? Well, I think it's to do with preserving preserving the memory of of this community because basically this community was wiped out in in the countries of of origin. So there are practically no Jews left um, in the Arab world perhaps about 4,000, uh, and there were almost a million in 1948. So um, what we're trying to do is to, is, is to tell the story of how and why these, these Jews left. Um, you know, they had a very rich heritage, and it would be a shame if, um, you know, this was all lost, really. And, and we're seeing the last generation of Jews who were born in Arab countries, um, you know, they're now in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. When they die off, there'll be no more links with these countries. But yet, um, I mean, half the Israeli population uh, are from Arab countries yes. originally, or, uh, you know, are the families of those. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. In fact, just over half. Um, but the same problem occurred in Israel, where the school system did not really teach about the history and heritage of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa, which, which is a bit odd, uh, since they are over yes. half the population. But I mean, there are reasons for that. Um, I think it's because, again, Israel was founded by Ashkenazim, um, the Holocaust plays a very big part in, in um, the background of, of uh, you know, the people in government, people that run schools and academia. Mm. And, but it's changing, it's changing now. 
Uh, After a lot of hard work, a lot of lobbying, um, you know, the school's curriculum in in Israel is is now beginning to include um, the history and heritage of Jews from from that part of the world. And now, of course, Israel has a a commemorative day uh, marking the expulsion of Jews from Arab lands as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's the 30th of November. And our organisation, Harif, has been marking it every year since uh, it, it first started, it's four years ago. And so your book uprooted 3,000 years of Jewish history in the Middle East. That is, of all the things that we read in the Torah, a, a lot of those things took place in what we now associate with as Arab lands, didn't they? Yeah. So the richness of that history is there. You weren't born in the Middle East. No, you were born no. in, in England, That's as right. was I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but your family uh, were quite late coming out of Baghdad. Yeah, my parents came out in 1950, which was about the time of the mass exodus from Iraq, when yeah. 90% of the community left. Most of these people went to Israel. And my parents were in a minority of Iraqi Jews who came to this country. And uh, that that was a a period that we refer to as the Farhud? No, the Farhud was um, a a terrible pogrom that occurred Mm. in 1941, sort of uh, nine years before the mass exodus. It occurred during World War II. Uh, But actually it sounded the death knell for the Iraqi Jewish community, you know, because I think Jews realised that they really did not have much of a future in Iraq. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, how did you find um, researching all that history from from a point of view here in England? Was that difficult? Well, it didn't all happen at once. I didn't just decide one fine day to write a book. It grew out of a blog which I'd been keeping. Um, I started this blog about the same time as, as we founded Harif, sort of, uh, so it's been going for 13 years and I update it every day with information I find on the internet uh, and sometimes I write original articles myself. Uh, so there's quite a wealth of information there, uh, there are about 5,000 posts on this blog which is called Point of No Return. And uh, if you just Google point of no return blog, you'll find it. it. That's right. And I've got several hundred people who come every day to read this blog. Fantastic. But but what I found after about 10 years is that I found, well, there's a wealth of information there and quite an archive, a rich archive of information. So why don't I put it into a book? So that's what I've done. But, uh, yeah, we have it here. It's now yeah. out in in, in paperback. Yeah. It makes it and more Kindle. accessible. And yeah. Kindle as well. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and so what can people expect to find in the book? Well, the book is not, it's not a history book um, because I've left that to the, the academics, people like Sir Martin Gilbert, who, who wrote a book in 2010 called In Ishmael's House, which was really the first time that somebody tried to put together a history of Jews from Muslim lands. What what I've tried to do is something a bit different. It's it's sort of thematic. It deals with certain um, myths, if you like, and tries to debunk them. And at the back of the book, I've got personal testimonies. 
and I've got maps and statistics, and I've got a potted history of each country. So if somebody wants to find out how many Jews lived in Syria in 1948 and how many uh, there are now, they could find it out quite easily. So it's, it's sort of a reference book as well as... Um, uh, you know, as, as well as containing a, a sort of an, an, an analysis. So over the years, how, how many uh, Jews do you think have, have left the Arab lands and gone to settle elsewhere, like you mm-hmm. say, primarily in Israel? Yeah. Well, it all happened very dramatically, actually. There was a, a, um, a sudden decline from almost a million Jews in 1948 there are no more than 4,000. And uh, there are, you could count the numbers um, in, on the fingers of one or two hands, uh, as far as most of these Arab countries are concerned. Um, and in some Arab countries, like Libya and Algeria, there are none at all. And these are countries which have had communities since well, well before Islam, a thousand years before Islam, and even before Christianity. Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, the trail, the route from the Middle East up into Europe, into Spain, obviously people must have settled along that route. Uh, Yeah, well, the North African community actually dates back to the destruction of the Second Temple. Yeah, yeah, and there are sort of archaeological sites, ancient synagogues in Tunisia, you know, with mosaic floors and that sort of thing. These are very ancient, you know, and and of course the Iraqi community is really the Babylonian Jewish community dating back to the destruction of the first temple. So some of the facts and figures contained in your book, I think you have an idea of, of how that can figure in contemporary politics now. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. Well, it's important in two ways. One is because the exodus of um, nearly a million people from the Arab world um, is is very relevant to the Arab-Israeli conflict. So we hear about Palestinian refugees all the time. But in fact, there was a greater number of Jewish refugees who were driven out of Arab countries, and they left with almost nothing, leaving all their property behind. These were almost pogroms in themselves. Yes, there, there were there were pogroms. There were outbreaks of, of violence, and hundreds of Jews were killed. Uh, for instance, um, seventy years ago in Egypt, um, in the summer of 1948, there were about two hundred Jews who died in bombings in Cairo. There were outbreaks of violence, but there were also there was also state-sanctioned persecution. Yeah, special I mean, laws. There were uh, summary courts, and people yeah. were hanged. People were hanged. Public definitely, hangings. people were arrested. Uh, so this is a, a, a piece of history that needs to be acknowledged, and these people have a case. It's an unresolved injustice which needs to be really discussed um, as part of a peace settlement. So do you think that people are going to seek a right of return to these Arab lands? Oh, absolutely not. But um, the the reason why the the Jewish refugees are important, and they did leave the Arab world in roughly equal numbers 
compared to the Palestinians who left what is now Israel. Yeah. So there was an exchange of, of populations. So the point we really want to make is that this exchange was permanent and that the Palestinians ought to drop their demand to return to Israel because of the existence of this other set of refugees who have no desire to return. And do you think that that was uh, state-sanctioned, this exchange of populations, this migration by the uh, empire builders, the Britain and France and other countries? It's a very complicated situation because actually the root causes of the exodus go back before colonial times. Um, in fact, the colonial era was, was a, a sort of beneficial era for the Jews. It was an era where they, their culture flourished, they prospered, they had good jobs in the colonial administrations. Um, but of course there was a limit to how far the colonial powers were prepared to protect these Jews. And the Farhud is a case in point where the British army was at the gates of Baghdad and could have stopped the riot and failed to do so. And of course the Holocaust had the Nazis won the war, um, you know, the Jews of the Arab countries would have been exterminated as surely as, as the Jews because of, of Europe. Because there was a link there, wasn't there? There was a, a link, certain, uh, definitely. Leaders. The intention was definitely to, to kill all the Jews uh, of the Middle East and North Africa. But thankfully, you know, uh, Rommel lost the Battle of El Alamein, and that was a turning point in the war. So do you think now, if the Jewish refugees from Arab lands come into the equation, that that is a step towards the road to peace? Yes, I do. I do think so. I do think that for too long the Palestinians have had a sort of monopoly of victimhood and the Jews have been sort of cut out of the picture. What stories do you think people will take away from this book? I've tried to give a sort of flavour of people escaping in difficult circumstances, going through riots like the Farhud, but also a taste of the culture. So it's not all black. The colonial period was, was a fantastic uh, period for Jews. On my front cover, I've got a picture of an actress called Camelia. She was an Egyptian actress, and her real name... Uh, is Lillian Levy-Cohen. Oh, right. uh, and she, she made about 18 films in a very short space of time in the 1940s before, sadly, she was killed in a, in a plane crash. And a rumour has it that she was King Farouk's mistress and he had her killed. <laughs> but that's probably just another conspiracy theory. So this prominence in the art and life and culture, uh, the things which have been lost over the years and we, we don't think of uh, Jews participating in so, so many of these fields these days and perhaps that's because we're not, not carrying through this history from the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. I think this history needs to be known. They were so prominent, in fact, that most of the musicians in Iraq were Jewish. Really? Uh, and some of the music they produced is still played today 
by Arab Muslims, but of course they haven't got a clue that the composers were Jews. <laughs> I never knew that. I did know that they were uh, Jews were very prominent in the um, Baghdad government. That this is true. There was a Jewish finance minister in Iraq, so Sasson Heskel, and there was also a Jewish finance minister in Egypt, Katawi Pasha. Of course, they ran the civil service and um, you know they were very prominent in trade and banking. I mean people have this view that Jews and Muslims have had this ancient fight between one another and, and there have been periods where there has been a lot of conflict but it's not necessarily the whole story is it? Well it's interesting you should say that because other people have this view that everything was wonderful between Jews and Muslims before Israel was created uh, and of course, the, the story is is not black and white. There are lo- loads of shades of grey. But but one thing that's very important to realise is because the Jews were were there for such a long time, nearly three thousand years, their culture was sort of embedded in the local culture, and the Arabs often shared the same holy places. You will find uh, Moroccan Muslims who go and worship at uh, the site of of rabbis' tombs. And this sort of symbiosis did not really occur in the Christian world. Yeah, there's a lot more conflict in the Christian world and people were were killed and eradicated. Yes, that's right. And that's not to say there weren't uh, pogroms um, in in the Arab world, because... They did break out. Yes. I think. I think the the thing to remember is that um, life was very insecure for the minorities, and if the ru- ruler was good, then uh, the the they Jews prospered, prospered yeah. and everything was great. And then you know the, the ruler minute would the ruler would change, the opposite would that's happen, right. Yeah. Or there was an expensive war that the ruler wanted to fight, and uh, he needed he needed to raise taxes from the minorities, and he could tax them tax them to death virtually. Uprooted, how three thousand years of Jewish civilization in the Arab world vanished overnight. Be a very interesting read for anybody. How can they get hold of the book? Uh, well, they can order it from the publisher Valentine Mitchell, or you can get it on Amazon, and I think certain branches of Waterstones, or just walk into your bookshop and and, uh, and order it. I think it's probably been a, a, a sellout in its popularity. Have you I think you've gone into another print run? Oh yes, uh, I think this is the third print run now. In nearly all the small communities and the other places that we reach, there's always a few Safari Jews, a few people who are interested, and then thanks very much for joining no, me thank today. thank you, Ed. Now, if that has whetted your appetite to read more of our Jewish history, I can recommend going to a book by Martin Gilbert. In fact, Lynn uh, alluded to it. It's called In Ishmael's House, A History of Jews in Muslim Lands. I tell you what, I wasn't able to put it down. Thick as the book is, it's a page turner. It really is fascinating. If you want to find out more about Lynn's organisation Harif, go to the website harif.org, that's H-A-R-I-F.org. And if you want to uh, read Lynn's regularly updated blog, then search for Point of No Return, Jewish Refugees from Arab Lands. That's it for this episode. Coming up next time, I return to Newcastle to find out more about the Jewish history in the northeast of England. That's it for this episode. 
I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm Ed Horwich, and this is JSCN Talk, the podcast for Jewish small communities.